To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's going on, guys? Got a brand new Eastman's Elevated for you. So on today's podcast, I have on my buddy Kane Reinhardt. So uh, it's Kane's first time on the podcast. I've known Kane for all the last handful of years. Um, he's So he's located in Bozeman. I uh, work with him in the construction industry, but he's just a diehard bow hunter. Uh, he's just willed himself into being consistently successful on trophy critters. He's worked tirelessly at his at his shooting and at his hunting skill set. And so he's just the perfect guest for the podcast. So I ran into him the other day and then hit him up and um, jumped on the podcast and we had this great conversation. So I really enjoyed it. I think you guys will enjoy it too. Uh, so we'll get right into it. I just want to thank a couple sponsors. So I want to thank Zamberlin Boots. Uh, I'm so pumped on my Zamberlins. Uh, uh, I'm so pumped on the relationship that I have with Zamberlins and the podcast. I really believe they're building some of the best shoes and boots out there. Uh, you know, boots and shoes comes down to personal preference. And you guys know that I like a burly mountain shoe for a lot of my hunts versus a boot. And again, it's just personal preference. Like I think, you know, pound on my foot is like 10 pounds on my back. And so I get less fatigued using these, these shoes. And then these shoes are built with waterproof with a, a great Vibram sole. And they're built a little bit burlier than a running shoe. So you can get multiple seasons out of them. So uh, I'm really in love with these Zamberlin shoes. So I say the name wrong every time, but it's the only way I remember. It's Saluth, uh, uh, or Saloth, I think is the shoe, but it's a, a Zamberlin Saloth. Uh, man, these things are under two pounds for a set. Um, so under two pounds as far as weight, uh, waterproof. Uh, they're built for the mountains. I have um, both my good hunting buddies, uh, Dan Heverin and Dylan Ness, are using this shoe and love it. And uh, I saw one of my workers the other day had this pair of shoes. And so I asked him how he liked them, and he loved them as well. Um, so they're really taking over. That Saloth is my favorite one. I've got a new set of them I'm pumped on. I also used a couple other of their sets this year, like the Free Blast. And that was an amazing shoe. I used that uh, nearly all year long, and it did flawless for me. And that Free Blast will also come in a, a low-cut height as well. So if you like a little bit more ankle support, you can still get the low weight, the low-cut height, uh, and you can get that in those Free Blasts. So they have a bunch of different offerings there. Uh, if I'm using their... Um, their, their boots, like they have a bunch of different offerings there. Um, I, I love like their, uh, they've got a, a GTX, a, a Hike Light GTX. It's an amazing boot as well uh, that I love that. They're under three pounds per set. Um, so if you're in the market for some new boots, make sure to check them out. Zamberlin does not cut any corners as far as craftsmanship, materials. They really stand behind their boots or shoes. I've never had a pair of boots stay waterproof longer than a pair of Zamberlin. So I'm super pumped on the company, their offerings. If you guys are in the market in this offseason, make sure to go check them out at Zamberlin.com. I also want to thank Cryptech. Cryptech is doing an amazing job with technical mountaineering gear. I'm so pumped. I have the best system put together for early, mid, and late season with their gear offerings. Uh, I really like the 
you know, their cuts of like their their insulated puffball jackets. They go lower and tend to cover my butt and keep me warmer there. Uh, they have a pair of puffy pants that are zip-offs that are just amazing when it gets really cold. And their early season gear, uh, the Sonoran hoodie, the Sonoran pant, they breathe really well. Um, they've got a hood on it so I can hide from the sun. Don't get uh, sunburnt neck or face or anything like that. So from early season to late season, they're just fitting the bill. And that Obscura Transitional Camo is one of the best camos I've ever seen in a bunch of different habitats. And my buddy, my buddies have uh, concurred on the same thing where they say uh, they, they glass me up out there or glass up my cameraman out there with me and can hardly pick me out in the sage, in the timber, wherever it is. That camo pattern blends in so well. That's called their Obscura Transitional. It's just a great camo pattern, but just, um, just great clothing, great offerings. Uh, I'm so pumped to be partnered with Cryptech as I just have an amazing system built for hunting all different types of seasons. And, you know, these clothing are our first line of defense against uh, incremental weather. And so, like, when you have a good system built, you can just be comfortable, stay out there longer and hunt harder and really focus on the hunt. And that's what I've been doing with this Cryptech the last year. So if you guys are in the market, uh, make sure to check them out. They're one of the top brands out there just producing great gear with a great fit. Uh, love all types of their pants like pretty much everything they offer uh, I've really fallen in love with and I'm using full time so um, check them out over at Cryptech I also want to thank Black Ovis. Black Ovis is doing a great job. They're an internet retail store. They have absolutely everything you need. They carry all the top brands, including Cryptech, including Zamberlin. Um, they they also have their own name brand, which is pretty high quality. I looked at one of their sleeping bags. I looked at their puffy pants. Like they have great offerings through their own name brand. Uh, they have an Aero ID site. They have uh, a point system on there where one point equals one dollar. You can save ten percent on your first order by putting in the code uh, Elevated Ten. Gosh, I always um, they they do such a great job offering that ten percent off. So if you have an order you're putting together for this off season, you can just save a pile of money there. And those guys are really knowledgeable too. They have a bunch of hunters that work for them, so you can call up. Uh, they can answer any questions that you have, and they're really trying to find you the best gear for uh, your needs or for your wants for upcoming hunt. So, yeah, give those guys a shout and uh, give them a chance. They've got some great gear. Uh, also, check out Camo Fire. So the best deals, they have uh, uh, 80 new hunting deals that come up every 12 hours. Again, my buddies like this app and use it quite a bit and pick up some good deals on there. Uh, so they just have... A good name brand gear that comes up at a huge discount that they're able to sell. And if you watch these 80 new hunting deals that come up every 24 hours, like you get to uh, get this, you know, look for the gear that you need and pick it up at a, at a high discount. Um, so it's a great app. Make sure to check it out if you're in the market for any new, new gear. So uh, you find them at Camo Fire. With that, over at Eastman's, um, we're working away. We've got the magazines, Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal, Eastman's Hunting Journal. We're getting into uh, application season, so make sure to check out our Tag Hub. Uh, we've got a, a, a huge resource of a bunch of different information that I've used for years to help me find these units uh, that fit my preferences and, and helps me find opportunities throughout the West. So you can check that out at Tag Hub. Uh, we've also... 
have some uh, some groupings of these items. Like if you wanted to get the Mule Deer course in Tag Hub or Tag Hub in the magazines, uh, we've got some deals there that you guys can look out for. But um, yeah, check out Tag Hub. Check out the Mule Deer course. Uh, put that together. It's just a great resource and a great deal. I think it's like a hundred bucks or something like that. And they have over a hundred videos. It's absolutely everything I know about hunting mule deer. Um, so I put it together with Dan Picari, worked really hard on it. And then Guy Eastman is in there as well. Uh, really proud of what we put out there. So you guys can check that out. If you're planning on hunting any muleys the next year, you'll surely cut your learning curve by years, uh, in a couple weeks time or however long it takes you to work your way through the, through the videos of it. So, um, check that out at the Mule Deer course. Uh, we've also got uh, uh, Eastman's Beyond the Grid. You can find us on YouTube there. And um, yeah, everything we do is over there at Eastman's. So you can check that out on the website. And with that, let's get into this podcast. So it's Kane Reinhardt. Uh, I'm your host, Brian Barney, Eastman's Elevated. Here we go. Yeah, because you're still in your vacation rental, right? Yep, yep, in the vacation rental, yeah. It's going to work out good, though. Nice, nice. Yeah, it's frustrating probably being in between houses, but I'm, I'm excited about your new house, man. That's awesome. Oh, dude, it's coming out so nice. Yeah, it's um, yeah. so fortunate to be able to build that thing in, like, this current economy or whatever. So, um, yeah, I'm stoked, and um, some of our work – is uh, seasonal, so we're snowed out of one of our houses, which kind of like checks one off my list. So I think I'll I'll yeah. be even I'll be able to get into my house even quicker, which will be killer. Awesome, man. Yeah, it's I'll tell you what, with the way the world is, especially in this area, like being able to be in a brand new place and you know build something that's for you and your family, man. I, that's awesome. Really happy for you guys. Oh, it's super cool. Yeah, for sure. It's in a good location too. Like I love this little community of Ennis, and then. Oh, we're in a nice little development, um, but it's just got that that broadside view of the Madisons, like looking at, you know, this mountain range that means so much to me, like over the last 20 years or 25 years that I've explored every inch of and then get to stare at it with like this. They call it um, uh, Shining Mountains because it gets like this afternoon light and illuminates that mountain range. But yeah, it's super cool view. So um, yeah, man, stoked. Yeah, drinking a drinking a cup of coffee to that view is never gonna get old. <laughs> no, uh, uh-uh. uh, you'll have to come down and shoot. We'll get the indoor set up. It'll be nice. Oh, dude, abs- absolutely. I would love that. Um, I I love that area too. So yeah, any any excuse to get out that way, was, <laughs> I'm all about it. Yeah, right on. Well, um, dude, I was just uh, I left uh, Kenyon Noble the other day. And um, you're just oh. the perfect guest for the podcast. I just didn't even think about it until after I left. But, um, dude, thanks so much for jumping on, taking the time. Oh, man, it's an absolute pleasure. It's a I've idolized you probably more than any bow hunter for many, many years now. So being on here, man, it's an absolute honor. Um, I'm excited, especially since, like, every time I feel like we see each other, it's, it's always in passing and I'm at work and um you know it's finally i'm so excited to like get to sit down and finally like dive into talking what we love you know man yeah well it's a a mini podcast every time i run into you like i always like talking hunting and anytime i'm in that kenyan store (laughs) i always try to swing in the back and say hi to you and then um 
dude yeah you do you you do such a good job uh like in sales too like um man it's so nice Thank to you. have a contact there that i can just call when i need something so yeah i'm just gonna lean on you more and more for sure um you do a stand-up job in there at canyon Oh, thank you, man. I appreciate it. I just, uh, I just got recognized the other night for 10 years there. Um, it's a great company, man. I, I love it. And next to hunting, it's my absolute, um, it's my dedication, you know, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's basically hunting in that place and, uh, ha I'm as happy as can be with all of it. So. Yeah, that's killer. Well, um, I'm equally impressed by, um, you and how you've just willed yourself into being a consistent bow hunter. Like, man, it's no easy feat. It's, um, no. it takes so much dedication and so much work at your craft. And then, you know, it's not just one skill set, it's multiple skill sets. And, um, man, you've willed yourself into an incredible shot where you're extremely lethal with that bow and arrow. And then you've willed yourself into this great hunter, you know, that, um, has paid his dues in Montana and learned some different spots and then hunts really hard during September. So I'm just super impressed by your consistent success year after year, man. And, um, another heck of a season this year. Yeah. Thanks buddy. It was an absolutely blessed season. Once again, um, the last few years, especially have just been incredible. And I'll tell you what, man, the prep for next year has already begun, you know, and that's, uh, that's something I, uh, I focus pretty heavily on, man, is I, I, basically the way I look at it is I do this year round, you know, I mean, once the, once the season closes, it's time to start, you know, it's time to start prepping for next year. And that formula has just worked so well, man. And there's, you know, some major things I focus on throughout the year to make myself better. And I swear, I just have these, these amazing seasons. And I'm like, man, like, what am I going to do you know, next year? Like, what's the goal? And somehow, somehow I've just been up in the ante each year. And it's, it's been incredible, buddy. I've been, I've been super, super fortunate and I've been putting, putting more work and time in than ever. Um, but I love every minute of it. I love everything to do with archery hunting and especially archery. You know, I, I love, um, I love archery equipment. I love the, the science of arrow flight. And, um, I've been working so much on, on bows the last few years, uh, mine as well as so many other guys and, it's just, it has made me such a better hunter to be so dialed into my equipment for sure. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Like you can see like the, the proofs in the pudding, like of those animals that you've been able to consistently harvest. And it, it does, it is living this, this bow hunting lifestyle 365. Like there is no off switch and you're right. Every good season I have, um, after the end of the season, you know, it's not that I don't, um, uh, appreciate the adventures or I'm proud of the accomplishment, but it all starts over like, um, 2023, we have to start at the beginning again. So, uh, man, yes. you're spot on for that. And it is, it's like, um, it's not something that comes immediately or comes right away either like that success or, or, or bow hunting these animals. It is like just working your way through it and you put in the hard work and improve your skills. And then it seems like success is even a bit delayed. So like you talked about your success, like, uh, uh, how good it's been the last few seasons or this season, like it's just coming to fruition for you. And, um, I can't wait to see what you produce in like the next 10 years, you know? Uh, but it yeah, does just yeah. take a lot of work, doesn't it? Before it starts, um, uh, uh, becoming a reality. 
Yeah, it, it does, man. And, you know, I, people, you know, people I'm sure, and they ask you all the time, you know, like kind of what's the, what's the formula, you know, for, for success these days in the woods. And I'll tell you what, it's just, it's nothing but solid dedication to the whole sport. And, but you know, there's, there's, there's more to it than just the season, you know, like, um, and I'm in the gym on a very strict workout schedule year round, like, like making sure my fitness is in check. Um, mind and body, right? Yeah. Oh man. It's, it's so important. And I was actually, um, I got done listening to that podcast with Preston Ward that you did. And that was just so, um, it just related so much to my life. You know, um, I think we forget as Western mountain hunters sometimes like, you know, these are, this is unforgiving country, you know, and to be able to, you know, to be able to navigate it right and do these pack outs with these heavy packs and stuff. I mean, you really got to have your body in check. And that has given me a huge edge over the last few years, just solid dedication to um, my physical fitness for sure. It's, I have been, uh, I've been working with a personal trainer, Wes Jameson at a prime physio over in Bozeman. And he's just, you know, knows, he knows my schedule, he knows my lifestyle. And he was, he's just been able to give me this, a program that's worked out so well for me. Um, so I can just be in the best shape possible when September comes. Dude, that's incredible. Um, good for you. Like, uh, what would you say, uh, your program has evolved to for the mountains? Because you're training for this extreme mountain terrain and it does, like gosh, the 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 body is such a major piece to the puzzle, and then and then what it does too is it strengthens the mind and gives you discipline, all in the same package of just working out and getting your body right. So so mm-hmm. what um what's your program consist of now? How does it change leading up to season? Uh, how many days a week? Like uh, what are you doing to prepare your body for the mountains? Yeah, so um, it's mostly it's mostly weight training with some cardio and endurance thrown in there. And uh, I still keep working out during hunting season. We basically go on a five-day-a-week schedule. Um, I, I'm a I'm a big weekend warrior, as you can imagine, with my my work my work schedule. So I use my five days during the week to just focus on weight training. Um, big focus on the back. Um, big focus on the legs. Big focus on the hips. Uh, you know, making sure that I'm really good and ready for those heavy packs and you know and it's we're just we're getting the body ready for injury prevention you know that's as you know that that's huge and then um as soon as hunting season's over i get back into a six maybe even seven day a week thing um i just i try not to miss a beat with it i found that you know i think the people and this is every people that don't even hunt that you know work out and they kind of lose their edge after a while and it's just from you know losing dedication like if you stick to it it is amazing how like you will physically start seeing those results and um, and yeah, we've just been, we've just been focusing on, you know, head to toe fitness. It's my, my back is definitely something that I try to keep as prime as possible because I definitely think it's the most, you know, fragile part of the human body, especially for hunters, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's definitely the keystone for sure. You need your back for everything. Yeah. If your back hurts, mm-hmm. um, it's hard to do anything right. Um, uh, man, good for you. Like, uh, 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 prioritizing it and i think that's a good way to look at it is to like um uh to stay ready you know it's like i sure i ramp up my training a bit before hunting season but i'm ready all year long like i've got mm-hmm. spring hunts that i do and i've got um uh you know summer trainings or summer runs and things but i i think it's 
it's like so nice when you don't have to go up and down from getting into shape to letting yourself go out of shape to to back in and i you know i would say right now like uh doing this house like i'm not in the best running shape of my life but still getting in i'm still maintaining and i think like the I think um I I just think it's so great when you look at fitness that way when you stay ready you're always ready you're in this physical shape all the time uh and you don't let it go and it's same thing for me for hunting season like um you know I continue to run through hunting season even though you know it wanes a little bit it's like I just don't want to lose that fitness or that cardio or that endurance and then the weight training is so important like building this muscle and then teaching that muscle endurance uh, it is, um, a huge asset in the mountains. And so, uh, like, like building that, that muscle on is so important. And so, man, I'm with you that, um, the back total body fitness, um, you know, and then, and then that endurance, like, I think I, um, I sit a little bit more in the endurance camp with the trail running and things, but it's still muscle building. Uh, it's still strengthening the muscles. And like you said, injury prevention is the main thing. Um, you know, you can go so hard when you feel a hundred percent, it's man, when you only have 75% or 70% because you have a back injury or a joint injury, um, that can just be a season killer. And so, you know, it is about longevity and it's about, um, strength and then, um, being able to attack these mountains. And I'm the same way. And I think, um, you know, our bodies adapt to the stress with which we put on it. And so when you're stressing that body five days a week, six days a week, seven days a week, like, um, you build up these muscles around your joints, you build up these muscles around your back. Like I actually think, um, the tendons strengthen. Like I think, um, yeah. I think yeah. everything tightens up. So, you know, here I've been going so hard for so many years, carrying a backpack and uneven terrain and so many miles. And I've got zero joint pain. Like I've got injury prevention where I can keep pushing my hardest once season gets here. And I know my body's capable of it. Like you mentioned pack outs, like, um, you know, it's one thing to go kill an animal, but then to get an elk out of the mountains, you know, is, is going to put this stress on your body. And if you're not ready for it, you can definitely get an injury doing it, or it'll take oh, yeah. you out for a couple weeks or whatever the case, man. That's, um, it's so crucial. Good on you. Yeah. Thanks, man. It's, uh, I, I've seen, I've seen some people kind of, you know, get up and so I, uh, I'm still a, a licensed hunting guide in Montana. I used to do some work for a local outfitter and you definitely, we, you know, you get some East coast guys out here and start hiking them into the mountains and you definitely begin to see the frustration on their face, you know, cause they're just, they're not quite ready for it. And, uh, and, and, you know, man, then when it comes down to the pack out, then they're really burnt out and, when it comes to pack outs, man, it's one of the reasons like I'll always volunteer myself to my friends whenever they got something in the mountains. And not only because I want to be there for them and, and help them, but man, like a chance to pack out is a chance to condition my body. Uh, so I'm always willing to throw an empty pack on head into the woods and help somebody get something out of a hole. Cause well, yeah, not only because it's good for me, but because I'd want the same help if I'm in that situation. So yeah, it's just another, it's just more exercising in my opinion, if I can, get on more pack outs during the year. 
Man, that's huge. Uh, when you have buddies show up to um, give up a day of their hunting to help you pack out something, it just means the world, and you just want to return that favor. So I'm the same way where I just try to offer myself up and help pack out and help those guys out. And um, like you say, it's another chance to for fitness and to be in shape in the mountains, and so it's a beautiful thing. And, um, you know, there's like a couple sayings that come to mind. I heard one the other day that I should have – I should have wrote down, but um, like um, fatigue makes cowards of us all. And then like I heard one the other day where it's like um, it's something to have to do with like uh, uh, a lot of people quit in the uncomfortable or um, under stress. God, I, I'll have to look back at it and see what it was and write it down. It's just this great saying that hit home to me. But basically, you know, it's like you just don't make as good a decisions when you're fatigued, when you're when you're worn out and when you work on your physical fitness, there's no buck or bull too far. There's nowhere you won't go. Uh, you build this dedication. And so during season, um, it's not a tough choice to be up at five in the morning and get in your boots on and get into the mountains. It, it just becomes easier, becomes um, uh, easier. Like uh, when you strengthen your mind and teach yourself that discipline, that all carries over into season. And so therefore you hunt harder uh, you give more and you just don't have this breaking point. And so that saying that I heard the other day was like, man, they're right. When you're really beat up or you're really working hard, that's like the easiest place to quit or to renegotiate your goals with yourself and say, oh, man, there's probably nothing up here. Or, you know, you can make these excuses uh, about going in. But when you get yourself in peak physical condition, it's like, man, this is what I've worked for all year long. Like you can just keep in this positive headspace of pushing and grinding hard to like earn a, a trophy animal so it's like it's not only this physical fitness is just for physical it also like helps shape the mind as well and makes you tougher during season yeah and you know man switch you know and if you switch that completely around it's the same thing uh you know in the gym you know when you're you know in being in the gym is just like anything else when you're on you're on and some days you're just not on and you know a workout is really like it's frustrating and you know, but as you're pushing through those reps and for me, like my, my whole drive and pushing through those reps is like, I will be happy. I will be happy come September that, that I pushed through this and that I stayed dedicated and it always ends up working out. Cause yeah, it, it, you flip that on its head when you're in the gym, it's going to be the same exact thing. You know, it's so easy to quit. It's so easy to just get frustrated with yourself. And I just, I just, I re-explore my why is what I like to call it. Like, why am I here? Why am I doing this? And, oh, it's because it's to be better at what I love to do, which is ultimately bow hunting. Man, I like that. I like that perspective, Kane. You're right. Um, that's how I look at it too. It's like an, an opportunity. Like you want to build mental toughness. It's to continue to go when you don't feel like going or continue to push. And like, you're right. You go through that, you know, dang near on every exercise, every rep you do, there's a quitting point there where you can get one more, you can get two more, or, uh, you can work your way through a workout. And I think, um, you know, there's this misconception, like I I love to run and I love fitness and I love to work out. I say those things. 
I don't always feel like it. Like, even us guys that are driven, I still have to make myself get out on the trails. Like, I, you know, I'm better nowadays, but I used to sit in my truck on a rainy or snowy day at the trailhead for 15 minutes before I get out and I actually go just sitting there pondering, like, dude, gosh, I just don't feel like it, but I can't really leave at this point. I'm already here. I'm committed. Like, have this conversation with myself. But uh, people think that, that fitness comes easy for guys like you and I, and and um, it does come easy because we make it a routine and we make it a habit, and and that habit then, you know, like once you form that habit, you you get that discipline and make yourself do it. But you know, there's this misconception that I always feel like running or I always feel like working out. I have to make myself do it the same as another guy does, uh, and it's always the toughest thing to start. But once you have a routine, it's easy to keep to it uh but but i find myself like i have to come up with the the same motivation everybody else does uh to get a workout or to get uh this fitness level that i enjoy in the mountains but it it's not easy it's a mental battle even for guys like me and you i i suspect you have the same thing kane um have to make yeah. yourself do it yeah I got to talk myself into it all the time, you know, and not, not every day comes easy. And I think that's what everybody who has a hard time committing to gyms needs to realize. It's like, it doesn't come easy for, for any of us. There are days, <laughs> there are days when you don't feel like it mentally, you don't feel like it physically, you know? Um, and I, and I, when I think about this, I, I think about when I did, when I killed my bull this year, how emotional of a moment it was for me when I was standing there looking down out on my, it all played back in my head, you know, the whole year of, of being dedicated to being dedicated to the gym and, and, you know, and, and my equipment and all that. But I mean, that's where I, I stood there and realized like, man, this is, it was super emotional. I was like, yeah, this is what, this is what that's for, you know, to get this ultimate, just amazing feeling like every day that I didn't feel like doing it. And every day I felt like quitting, like this is what made it all worth it. Cause this is just, you know, the most amazing feeling on the planet for me. And, um, it, it's, I find myself constantly <laughs> just trying to talk myself out of things. And it's the same thing. Like you said, when you get to a trailhead or something and it's snowing and it's miserable and it's like, oh man, like, <laughs> like this, but I, I, I'm sure in your experience as a vine, I think those are some of the days that end up being some of the best ones you have, <laughs> ironically. Oh man, absolutely. Uh, congratulations. I want to, I want to dive deeper into archery as I know you've gone deep down the rabbit hole, but yeah, uh, do tell me about that, that, that elk hunt It is like the top of the mountain or the top of our Everest, what we work hard for all year long. And so those, um, those feelings when we, when we harvest our target animal, when it comes together and we find that, that magic, like, um, man, the sense of accomplishment is, um, indescribable almost like it is amazing and um how good to like uh, harvest an animal like that and to be able to sit there and reflect on it and reflect upon all the hard work you put in uh you know and not only this year but multiple years to build your skill set to a place to be able to harvest a public land bowl with your bow and arrow and a great one at that like um man that's the top of the mountain it just doesn't get any better and once you find that feeling uh, I feel like you can use that for motivation to climb the next Everest, to do it again, to to put that work in. Like you've seen it now and you've seen it happen and you believe in this 
this mission, you believe in this, you know, that this working out year round, that this working on the bow, like you can see it uh, right there in front of you in this bull elk that you harvested. Dude, tell me about that elk. Yeah, it was, um, it was, it was, it, this was such a crazy year, man. And um, that, that went down on opening weekend too, which was pretty surreal at the time. Um, but, you know, I dove, I dove into this season head first, like always, I got out in August and uh, arrowed a, a good antelope, um, which is just always probably the best prep you can do here in Montana to be ready for, for the big game season is to chase antelope with a bow. And so, man, you're good on uh, those antelope too. You seem to come up with a good one year after year, man. I love that season. It's um, such a great yeah. season to start off and uh, uh, not as a warm up like it, it is, it does get you ready for season, but it's just so dang fun too. It is, man. I'll tell you what, like, there's no, of course, like us Western hunters are always talking about the pinnacle, which is, you know, elk hunting with a bow, but there's not one, there's not one animal I chase with my bow that doesn't give me the craziest, you know, heart pounding out of my chest feeling, you me know, too. And, yep. and antelope, antelope takes it to a new level, man. And, and if there's any place you're going to like really test your skills, it's spot and stock antelope hunting, you know, it'll, and the, how mentally tough you got to be to make Without that happen. Yeah, you're. I, I almost take more. I almost take more pride in a consistent antelope kill than I do a, an elk kill. Oh, I love <laughs> it's it. It's just, uh, it's crazy. Yeah. So, um, got that done. Um, and then uh, how many you know, stocks did it take you? Oh man, this year was a lot. I only I shot him after after one week. The season was open for a week when I killed him. I, I want to say, I want to say it was between like right around thirty five or forty stocks. Um, before I kill this one, my, my wife was with me and, um, we each had the tag this year. Cause as you know, like that tag's not going to be, uh, it's not hundred percent to draw anymore. So we were, we were both out getting after it. And yeah, I probably did 35 to 40 before I, I killed that buck. And oh man, it was, <laughs> it was hot. I think I shot him on about 101 degree day or something like that. And, uh, but that's just another part of the challenge I love, man. I, I don't know what it is about that heat, but it's just it's a totally different, totally different world. And me too. I love it too. Yeah, those hot hunts are they're mentally tough, man. They're just a grind. Uh, same thing. Yeah. It's getting out of your truck day in day out. Yeah, it, yeah, for sure. And so, and as you know, um, here in Montana, that heat just that heat stuck. You know, it's stuck around for opening weekend of big game and. Um, I remember it was funny because I, I remember that weekend was approaching one of my coworkers dude, who doesn't even hunt was like, so what's the goal this year? And I like, I sat there and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, yeah, that's a good question. You know, like, what is, what is the goal? Cause I was going to be heading into my normal elk spot as always for the weekend. And I'm like, well, you know, I'd like to maybe kill a bigger bull than last year, you know, like that'd be, that'd be a good goal. And, um, headed in on opening weekend, man. And it was, it was hot. It was just, and I remember leading up to that weekend, other, my other bow hunting buddies like, man, you're going to go out this weekend. I'm like, oh yeah. Cause <laughs> I tell, I tell everybody the same thing. I said, hunting is just like the lottery, man. Like you're not going to win if you don't play, you know, if the seasons, if the season's open and you know, the, <laughs> and I can be out there and I don't have to be at work that day. Like I'm going to be hunting. And, um, and when I, you know, something I've definitely changed up the last few years is when I leave my truck in the dark, I come back to it in the dark, you know, staying out, staying out all day and being persistent has definitely um, helped out. And that, that, that weekend came, it was hot and I got into the elk woods and, and where I hunt, I've kind of discovered um, some, some early season tactics, you know, um, 
because I actually love early season for elk hunting. I got up, I, I call them elk bedrooms, you know, these thick timbered areas that, you know, where they can get in and stay cool for the day. And because I think a lot of people just get so wrapped up in this morning hunt and this evening hunt for elk. And there's just, there's so many other ways to kill elk. Um, yeah. And I got into this nice timbered bedroom and, uh, got in there and just kind of, and it was, it was far in, I was a ways in alone and, you know, and I had heard some bugles that morning and this was the, this was, uh, the Sunday of opening weekend. And, uh, I, I got in there and I just kind of posted up in this spot and took some, took some refuge and some, some shade and, um, and I'll never forget, you know, the time was going by and then in the afternoon, starting to hear some bugles light up and it was early afternoon. I mean, it was only about three o'clock or well, you know, coming early evening, let's call it anyway. Um, and I'll never forget these elk started lighting up around me. And then all of a sudden this bugle rang out 300 yards behind me. And you know, as a, as an elk hunter, you know, when you hear a herd bull versus, you know, younger, <laughs> younger raghorns. It's the craziest sound ever, man. Like that bugle rang out behind me. It was one of those deep, just growls, angry. And it was, oh man, it was, it was nuts. And the first thing that went through my mind was, okay, <laughs> got to slow down here. Cause this bull is, I knew this bull was big. Um, I just, I heard it in him and, uh, he, he kind of posted up in there. I put, I put the calls away because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm running all the scenarios in my head from everything I've learned over the years. You know, this is a big bull, you know, and he's not, you know, why is he going to be interested in my call if he has a huge harem with him? And, you know, it's, he's all, he sounds like he's already the king of whatever he's got going on. And so I, uh, I started creeping through this timber behind me and I mean, slow, you know, which is something that is so important as a bow hunter, man, it's just slowing down and I crept through this timber and it, it was thick in there, you know, the shooting lanes, the furthest shooting lane you could probably get was 50 yards if the scenario was just right. And I I crept up on this herd, just slow, no noise, no calling, start to see some some hair through the trees. And then here he is, you know, and he's, he's circling around this herd in the timber and he's actually kind of heading my direction. And I just stood, I stood still, you know, I'm going to let him, I'm going to let him do the work. You know, he's on alert. My, the, my wind is just right. And, uh, I kind of let the situation play out, you know, and as a hundred percent like spot and stock hunt and this bull made his way to a, a tree in front of me at about 46 yards. And, and I think I, I mentioned this to you the other day, I just got a show at that point. This bull started tearing this tree up. He's, his lips are curled back and I, and I finally get this good look at his rack and I remember the season before I had talked to a couple of hunters that were in a couple drainages over for me and in passing, they had mentioned they seen this bull with a drop tine and he starts raking this tree up and here's this drop tine on, on the left side of his rack. And when you're staring at him and I, I remember, man, my heart just started pounding. <laughs> it's like, holy, holy cow. Like that, that's him, you know, cause this is, just, it's a pretty, it's a, it's a rare genetic in elk, as you know. And he starts raking that tree, and I, I've got my arrow knocked, and I'm just not letting myself, I'm not letting myself talk myself into anything crazy. It's just, just, just wait it out, you know, wait out the situation. And this bull, 
he moves over to start raking the other side of this tree and he gives me just this nice little um slightly quartering to shot and uh and i shoot a, a hinge release like you so you know on the when i drew back you know i went through my process that i've been working on for so many years and just settled that pin and uh i actually had to use my knowledge of archery flight on this one because he had a he had this like one inch branch going right across his vitals, but the branch was halfway between me and him. So I like studied that path and I'm like, okay, with my trajectory, if I aim right through the branch, should sail right over that branch and, and hit him good. And and so I settled that pin, you know, right behind that shoulder with the pin actually on that branch and pulled through a beautiful shot and the arrow arced perfectly right over that limb. And came down and just smoked him. Um, it was I'll never I'll never forget that moment. And and then his herd kind of moved off, and it was a huge herd that was hiding in there. And uh, he was definitely the the king of that herd. And he went about he went about forty yards and and was dead in about ten seconds. Dude, it's um so beautiful. Like it just doesn't get any better in bow hunting. And those those scenarios, you know, they um. You have to work hard for them, but a lot of bow hunting is like being clutch in these opportunities you get. Like you're only going to get so many opportunities a year, and you're only going to get so many opportunities of, of a bull of that caliber. And so like so much of what you said there like resonated with me, like the, the hunting throughout the day. And these elk do get in this dark timber, and I am – you know, I'm at fault too where I am a morning and night guy, and I, I need – I love hunting that thick timber and I'm really working on my still hunting skills, like my ability to move slow, like you said, to pick them up. But I almost have to know where they're at in the middle of the day. So I know where they bed on these benches and on these ridge lines, and I'm definitely hunting late into the morning or even into noon. And then I'm starting early in the afternoon. And if those things sound off and I can echo locate them, then I feel comfortable moving in, which is like what it sounds like your scenario was. Like you put your in the right bed, uh, bedding timber and then it's mm-hmm. it's all about moving slow like you have to see them before they see you you have to keep mm-hmm. the element of surprise and it's so difficult to move really slow but that's what it takes it's like finding these hard trails these elk trails through the downfall timber through this thick stuff and then just being able to creep your way through and you after doing it so many years, you just really pay attention to the wind and the current and how that's moving as you're moving through the timber. And then it's it's about using their bugles and being able to echolocate and kind of know when to slow down or when you're coming into them. And then when you talk about moving slow, like uh, it's just a snail's pace. Like you have to – it's take a step or take a couple steps. And then I still use my binos even though I'm in the thick trees. I'm glassing 100, 200 yards trying to pick out that hair of that cow like you did, you know. It's like you have to see them first. And then once you see them first, you know, I feel a little bit more comfortable like moving into position or knowing when I can move or when I can't. So, so many things you did right there. And it seems like these new age elk or these, um, you know, there's so many guys that are going hard that are good elk hunters nowadays that these elk do – they love to refuge in that deep, dark timber, in that thick stuff. And if you can go in and hunt it effectively, man, you can get into some crazy good elk. Oh, yeah, 100%, man. The, the new age elk, which uh, yeah, you and Andrew Whitney hit hit on the head really well a few weeks back, um, 
you know, these elk are, they're adapting and they're evolving to, you know, the habits of hunters. They're, they're constantly, I feel, I feel every year, you know, things are getting a little tougher and they're getting better at avoiding us. And, you know, and honestly too, the whole calling thing, you know, I think that calling scenarios are going to get more fragile as time goes on because these elk are keying in really well on, you know, what a, what a real elk sounds like versus a human being. And so we got to keep sharpening our skills, man. And we have to, we have to keep working around that. You know, the, I, I find, you know, I, as you can imagine, it's, there's a lot of elk these days that, you know, they hear a bugle and they take off in the other direction, which is so, so crazy, you know, but, you know, elk are beginning to associate certain things they're seeing out there with, with danger. And so they're, yeah, constantly evolving and adapting, man, and learning, learning how we're trying to outsmart them. So that's just why I'm forced to get better every year. You know, it's, it's just, it gets more challenging as time goes on and, and just in the whole being slow thing, man, it's just, it's so, I've heard, I've heard you talk about this before. I mean, it is so easy to rush a situation because the kill is in your mind before the process has even happened. And I think, uh, you know, you're, you're already excited about this kill that you really have to, you're, you're really a whole step away from killing and, you know, making the right move on this elk. And, um, yeah, just, you gotta, you gotta talk to yourself a lot and you've got to understand like the result it, it will happen if I play this out correctly rather than, you know, blowing up this herd and then, then they're out of my spot, you know, and I would, I would rather, I would rather, you know, creep in as slow as I could and they move away and it gets too dark rather than, you know, I rush the situation and blow them out of there and never have the opportunity again. Oh, you're so right. Yeah. If you can keep them in your area and just play this tentatively, uh, this tentative game where you keep the element of surprise no matter what. And you're right. It's better to uh, move too slow. The elk move away from you. You don't get a chance, but they're still in that area, still being elk, and you got a chance at them the next morning instead of being super aggressive and blowing them out of country because you move too fast and cows caught your movement. Uh, and then you have to start all over. And so uh, that's so crucial. And like the the big bull that I chased this year you know, I chased him for uh, three different hunts in there, and then I had my buddy chased him, and like, you know, I just, um, I never blew that bull out of there. Like, I just kept playing the game, trying to get a shot, and there was a night where, you know, there is, I, I had one of the most epic nights where I heard 300 bugles, and another herd bull challenged this bull, and they bugled back and forth, and they ran at each other, and chased each other off, and chasing cows, and cool. screaming their heads off. It was amazing, and it, it, it played out for like two hours that evening of the most insane elk hunting and to end that day and not blow up that bowl and not blow up that scenario or spook any of those elk and to be in, in them all night man that was a that was a gift in itself like uh that was amazing and then that bull stayed in there and able to keep chasing them and and just like you said, like letting things play out, like uh, being in range, like being at 46 or whatever you said from that bull, scraping his, his horns on that tree, like you also have to wait for the right scenario. The bull I ended up killing uh, was down below me the same, like 40, 50 yards feeding and bugling back to his cows. And I spent five minutes in range of this bull, and I know how tough bulls are to kill. And he just didn't quite give me the right angle, didn't give me the right shot. And then just how it can happen in bow hunting, that elk turned around and started walking dead away from me. Like he, um, his cows started chirping at him, and all of a sudden he let out this 
this uh, spine tangling bugle at at 45 yards or whatever it was and i've got my cameraman right behind me and i'm letting all this play out and it was five minutes of being in range and then that bull starts to walk off and back to his cows and you know there's like some scenarios where that i don't get the shot and i just continue playing the game and i would have killed an elk this year uh but he started walking away from me and then had no idea I was there, and uh, uh, I did kill my elk by calling this year as I made one cow call to kind of stop him, and just a mouth call, just a, Ew, you know, like that, and he heard it, and walking dead away from me, he spun to look back and gave me a good quartering away shot, and I actually, a lot of times, I like to draw back and then cow call to stop him, but that's when I know the exact range, and with this bull walking away from me, I wasn't sure where he was going to stop, and I was in like behind some trees where I, uh, I was concealed. So I actually had to cow call with my rangefinder up to my eye and bow in front of me and cow call. And he starts to turn and I get a range and then I've got to get behind my bow, uh, you know, and, and set my pin and then slowly come to full draw. And luckily he was able to put up with the, the little bit of movement in the trees and get an evening last light. And I was able to get away with it and put a perfect arrow in him. But, um, Man, I think just what you said, like being patient, like I think with elk, it's really waiting for the right angle. And I hear so many horror stories, a guy talking about guys talking about a, a giant bull that they hit and got away or and it really is like a, a focusing in and putting a perfect arrow in that bull. If you don't put a perfect shot on them, you don't get them. And so you really have to wait for the right angle. Uh, the right shot on that bull and then put that perfect arrow in him just like you did like how many years too did it take you to where you were able to transition your really good shooting and your archery knowledge and all this work that you've put in how long did it take you to transition that to shooting at animals like that is no easy feat to keep your calm to work your hinge release to execute a beautiful arrow like you did on that bowl man that is not easy to do how long did it take you to harness that and do you have it now on every animal or is it something you have to work tirelessly on every hunt you know like you know we're always (laughs) target panic is something we're always all going to deal with for our whole, our whole entire life. And, um, it took, it took, it took many years, man, to get into a process that, that works correctly for me because everything we do in archery is, is all preference. And, um, you, you know, years back when I switched to, you know, dedicated to a hinge release, you know, I, I remember in my early twenties, like I would always practice with my hinge. And then when hunting season came, I would just, I put it away, you know, and I, I finally made a huge um, dedication to it. And that thing has just made me really have to, you have to go through the whole process of a shot. You know, there's no more of this, you know, quick drawback and just wait till that pin floats across the vitals and, you know, punch that trigger. You know, that's, that's not an option anymore, you know, and that's, that's what it is, man. Like I've, I've gave myself the discipline to where I, I'm using a setup that I have to slow down. And I have to be able to make the right shot. And, and, you know, in, in those scenarios too, you, you've got a little more, I, I just had more control over the situation. You know, I'm not letting myself get carried away and, you know, and translating your practicing to killing animals is it's, it's a, it's a, it's a huge transition, you know, I'm sure. Yeah. It's like you said, you know, we hear horror stories and I think a lot of the times that's coming from guys that kind of step into the backyard and shoot a block at 20 yards in August and, you know, call it good to go, you know, and, but in the thing that I've always preached to people is like, if, you know, when we hunt these animals with a bow 
It's our responsibility to make an ethical, lethal kill in whatever way we have to do that. You know, it's just, I owe it. I owe it to an animal, especially a bull of that caliber, a caliber, you know, I, I owe it to him to, to make that, that good shot and to really slow down and think about what I'm doing, you know, like you and I both danced on the same thing this year. You've got that five minutes of that bull is he's in range, you know, and you could easily draw back and take a whack, but you've got to, you've got to start thinking to yourself and, and realize like, I owe it to this animal to wait for the right, the right shot. And it sounds like you and I both did that this year because the whole time that bull was raking that tree up, you know, I did have that, that frontal shot, but with how much of an adrenaline rush I had and what I had known about this bull and how important it was to make this happen. Right. You know, I waited for the opportunity and waited for him to turn, you know, because it's, yeah, if you don't put a perfect arrow on these elk, it is just insane what they can do, you know, and I've, I've seen, you've just got to, you've got to strive for tighter tolerances when hunting elk, you know, you're, 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 you're shooting, your shooting ability needs to be more, than accurate arrows. It needs to be about, you know, proper form and a good pull through because, you know, we've, as anybody that's hunted out here enough has, has seen some of the things that happen when you can, when you put an arrow in a bull where you either rush the shot or you didn't exactly know the range or, you know, the scenario just wasn't right. He was moving and that's never worth it to me. That is, it is never worth it to take those shots where, you know, eh, well, hopefully this works out. You know, it's, that's never worth it to me, especially, you know, on a mature animal that it's your dream to kill an animal of this caliber. You know, I'd, I'd much rather he got away and I get another shot next time. And, um, yeah, there's, there's so much more to just shooting an accurate bow. It's about, you know, having discipline and being able to check yourself in those situations, you know, and, and just, just slow down, just slow down. Man. Um, yeah, it's so fun to like listen to you talk about it. Like so much of it resonates with me as well as it is being a next level hunter. It's like when you have that discipline to wait on the right shot, when you have that discipline to work through your shot process. And, you know, a lot of that is just all the arrows and all the practice we do. I know you shoot leagues and you shoot 3D, you shoot around buddies and like, um, you know, there's this, this pressure to, to make those shots. And in those moments, you have a decision to make. It's whether you're going to, try to float your pin and say now or whether you're going to execute correctly and once you start to commit to that executing correctly and once you start to transition that on animals and then yeah you're right like this this thing this bow hunting it means so much to me but the the resource can't handle me going out and wounding two elk and killing one like the resource i will ruin the resource i will ruin the mountain ranges that i hunt and like you say, it's it's an absolute heartbreaker to lose to put an arrow in an animal and lose it ruins your whole entire season. Like it it ruins my whole season, it ruins my whole year. I can't stop thinking about it and I keep replaying the situation and thinking back, God, I should have done this different or I should have waited for a better shot. And, you know, like um you know, hopefully Hopefully people can learn from like us talking about it where they do make those right decisions. But a lot of times us humans learn the hard way and have to have some heartache to be able to make those choices. But to me, 
like this bow hunting this craft it means so much to me that i want to do it the right way like i like you say we owe it to the animals to to make a clean and lethal shot and not leave them wounded uh uh, uh wandering the mountain range like uh destined for a, a a long slow death or a death by uh predators or whatever the case because we've injured them or knocked them down a notch it's like we owe them to to make this clean ethical kill and you know i'm i'm in it to um um uh, to kill this animal and i just know taking risky shots taking bad angles taking moving shots the same things that you described like i know those are a recipe for disaster and so, you know, I am really looking for placing that perfect arrow in an elk, and so I'm going to be patient. And you're right, your tolerances get tighter. A lot of people say, well, elk are a big target. Their vitals are 12 inches, and so you've got more room for error. And that's the wrong way to think about it. The right way to think 100%. about it is these elk are the toughest animals on planet Earth. And unless you place an absolute perfect arrow in them in the lungs, heart, or liver, they're not going to die. And so, like, you have to wait for this, this perfect angle and same way i waited on my moose like he was fighting another bull right in front of me they were sparring and i had that quartering toward shot where sure could i put it in there behind the front shoulder i bet you i could i bet you i could angle it in there but the tolerances are just too tight there's like too much room for error to where there's too many things that can go wrong on that shot angle and so you know i just waited and eventually yeah. that that bull turned broadside and gave me a good shot at his lungs and able to put a perfect arrow in him. And he was alive for maybe 45 seconds. In fact, he took 25, he walked 25 yards and turned the other way broadside. And I put an arrow the other way through him, you know, so he just didn't make it that far because of my patience. Now, if I would have walked up there and the, the moment I see, you know, this angle and I try to tuck it into this, it's like trying to force an arrow into this tight window, man, bad things can happen. And so, uh, you're so right. This commitment, and it almost has to be more important to you to execute a good shot than to kill that animal. Like you have to walk around thinking about this shot execution and not letting your mind override it. Like you walk around going, no matter what, no matter how big the bull is, no matter what shot I get, I am going to execute my shot. And when you start doing that, animals start dying consistently. Mm -hmm. and, and so good on you, man, for, for you know, for your moose hunt because and in that scenario too you know you're on a hunt that you're on a hunt of a life you're on a hunt there that you're not going to get to redo next year you know and you know that that's a, your moose hunt is such a perfect example of you know think about what all led to this and how much how long you waited for this and you know i, I remember you talking about how many bulls that you, you passed and saw before this all came together and and why on earth would you ever take the risk, you know, of, of screwing up that scenario when you put all that work in and have waited so long, you know, and I, like my, my scenario with my bull is like, when you talk about how you shot your moose, it's, I just, I feel you the exact same way, you know, just sitting there and talking to yourself about what it's going to mean, you know, how much more meaningful this is going to be to wait and make the perfect, perfect kill and just and how much more rewarding that is to make a perfect shot, you know, regardless, let's, you know, put the size of the trophy away. You know, it's the I get so much satisfaction out of a clean kill, no matter no matter the size of the animal, a clean, lethal kill is just that I get. It just it brings me to a good place and it, it reminds me it reminds me to always just keep my mind in that right place. Um, and it, I think and, you know, and everybody everybody's different. 
you know, people, people get out there that have, it's, it's been weeks, you know, since they, they've seen an animal and, or, you know, it's been a couple of years and they've, they've eaten tag soup and they're frustrated. And those things kind of come into play with those decisions too. Why guys want to rush things, you know, they're just so eager to get it done, you know, and we, the thing you got to learn as a bow hunter is, you know, 90% of what you're going to do in bow hunting is just going to be close calls. It's going to be close calls. <laughs> your, one of your skills is going to be able to, is to walk away from that close call. If the shot wasn't, wasn't right. And just, just good on you, man, for, for that, that moose. And, you know, and you made a poke, you made a hell of a poke on him and, you know, but it wasn't just a shot. You just, you know, flung out there. It was a shot that you calculated, you waited and you executed. And that's, that's what this needs to be about in every shooting scenario. Yeah. Uh, thanks man. Yeah. And likewise to you, your execution is, um, uh, beautiful. It, it is, it does, it accentuates or adds to the experience, right? It's such a major part of it. Like if I kill an animal and I didn't make a good shot on it, it's almost like, uh, I'm happy for the harvest, happy that I was able to finish the job, but it, it almost taints the experience a little bit. Like I can't stop thinking about that shot, but when you make a perfect shot and you execute a perfect shot on those animals, man, it adds to the entire experience. Like you say, no matter how big the animal is, it, it like, uh, it makes it better and you feel complete. You feel like you did your job. And so that's like such a major, a major piece of it or major piece of the enjoyment or the thrill of it. And, and you're right. I love what you said. Like 90% of bow hunting is close calls. That's so right. <laughs> even from us good bow hunters, like we get so close so many times. And even like the bull elk I killed, you know, I think that was my fourth or fifth stock on elk. And I was close on the other stocks. I didn't blow them up. I played things perfect and played the wind. They just didn't come together. Like, these animals are crafty. They don't always give you a shot. Sometimes they're on the other side of the cows, and sometimes they move off. And then sometimes you can be hunting with a perfect wind for two hours, and all of a sudden you get in a little bold basin, and it swirls, and it blows up the scenario. And so you're right. Like a lot of bow hunting is these close calls, and so you learn not to get frustrated by close calls. You you learn to, like, soak it in. Like this is – that is the fun of bow hunting. There's so much hiking and looking and map research and driving, and there's so much that goes into hunting that, that isn't hunting. But when you finally get there and you find an animal and you get a play on them, you get a stock, you give yourself a chance, like, man, that is the thrill of bow hunting. And so I walk away from some of these epic encounters of just being close calls. I didn't get the shot, but just going, man, that was amazing. What I got to see tonight through my two eyes was amazing, and I get to continue to hunt for them and so i think it is like just um flipping the script to like the way you think about things your perspective on it and um you're right if you're not okay like failure in bow hunting is a prerequisite and you're gonna fail on stocks you're gonna fail on shots and it's about picking yourself back up and getting back out there and eventually it just comes together but yeah there's like a a beauty in this 90 percent of close calls like well that's the fun of bow hunting and and really the longer it takes and the more of these stocks you get the more it's shaping our hunting skills the better it's making us like i think uh, part of the reason i'm such a good bow hunter is because i fail a lot 
Like a lot of times during bear season, I'm hunting 30, 40 days, or a lot of days during elk season, it takes me, you know, 15, 20 days. Now, you made good on your encounter the first week, and you were prepared for, uh, you know, getting into these elk. And, um, you know, like we talked about earlier, like a lot of bow hunting is being clutch on the opportunities you get, but it just doesn't always come together. And the more days you can stack on to hunt elk for 20 days, like who's hunting elk for 20 days a year? And so that experience is such a great teacher and has turned me into the elk hunter I am. It's it's made me better at spotting and stalking these elk just because I get so many encounters and so many close calls, so many chances that eventually it'll come together. But yeah, it's um it's part of the beauty of being a bow hunter is that we fail a lot. Yeah, hundred hundred percent, man. I, I I you know, and people people see the success of of of, of you and um you know, and, and other guys, and other guys like you that have have grown such a following, and I, I you know, which I think the biggest message you have for all of them is, is like, don't worry, I've I've had to fail many times to make this all all come together. I remember, man, in twenty in 2021, um, a couple weeks before I arrowed my bull, I had an encounter with a bull that was of a totally different caliber. You know, I, I would say he was pushing that 360 level and he was so worked up in the rut and he was so worked up into his cows. And I snuck in to 65 yards on him, but this bull, he wouldn't hold still. He was just breathing hard and just chasing these cows around. The shot wasn't right, you know, and there was no brush between me or him, but he wouldn't, he never held still. He's got all these other eyes with him that could spot me at any minute. And I had to let that bull walk away. And I remember getting home that night and telling my wife about, it. I was like, honey, you're not going to believe like this bull today. Like I was, I was right there. I was right there. And she's like, well, you did the right thing. And then, you know, now the right thing will come along. And it did two weeks later, you know, ended up in a different scenario and arrowed a really nice bull. And, you know, and I reflect on, I reflect on those decisions when I finally get my kill, you know, I reflect on, man, you know, it would have been so awesome to arrow a bull that big. But as you, you know, as you stated before, you know, anything, if anything went wrong, the sleep I would have lost would have, it would have killed me for a straight year. And that's not something I'm, if, if I have control over that scenario, I'm not going to let that happen. You know, I, a few years ago, I remember I kind of, I, I took a shot at an antelope that was on full alert at me, staring right at me. And by the time the arrow got there, he, he, you know, he jumped and I, I hit him and I killed him, but I did not hit him where I would have loved to have placed that arrow. And I remember I got pretty emotional about it. You know, I mean, I got him, but, um, you know, it's like you said, when things like that happen, it, it does, it sours the situation a little bit. Like I walked away that day feeling, you know, of course I made the accomplishment, but it was just in the back of my head. Like if I had just taken a second and just, if I had just let down, you know, and, and let them, let them walk away. I probably would have been in another scenario sometime that day, you know, and that, that was a tough thing to deal with. And, and, uh, scenarios like that is where you're really going to, going to learn a lot. Man, that's it. Um, yeah, kudos to you, like, uh, uh, doing it the right way. And it's part of the reason why you're seeing this next level success is your commitment to bow hunting and your commitment to getting the right shot and making the right decisions. Like, man, that's why it's coming together for you that, that, you know, patience is a virtue and patience does kill the buck or bull, like waiting for the right angle, the right shot, placing the perfect angle in there, they die. And it doesn't always happen on the first stock. And, um, you know, just like you stated, 
You are an absolute antelope killer. And I, you, you mentioned how many stocks you had this season before it finally came together. And, and, and me included, I didn't have quite that many on antelope, but I've definitely had that many in years past. Like some years are tougher than others. Those antelope are tough to kill, you know, but I had to play the game multiple times and put myself in good places and put myself in range before it finally came together. And yeah, I think, um, I think it's just, um, (laughs) oh man, those things are so fun, man. And they just shape us into good hunters too. You know, they just don't put up with much movement, uh, with any movement, um, you know, and their eyesight is so keen. And so, yeah, man, those things are a real challenge and they sharpen our skill set. And, and that transposes into other animals. We're able to use that, that skill set on elk and make it happen with less opportunities because we get good at our craft and good at this bow hunting. But, um, man, it's, um, you know, I know you've put a bunch of work in your shooting over the years and I've, I've been able to see you like improve throughout the years and be like one of the top shooters in the, in the shop in there. And, um, you know, I also think it's due to like you had mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, uh, working on other people's bows, um, yeah. your knowledge yeah. of bows and archery, uh has furthered your shooting like this understanding of it like you've gone deep down the rabbit hole of archery to learn everything you can learn about archery everything you can learn about shooting and form and then you're putting it into practice like in these leagues and in the 3d shoots and you're challenging yourself and you're shooting around other people like man that um working on that archery skill set the time to improve is the off season and you really have to put a ton of effort into it and it's you know it's something that we continue to strive and and work towards is to be the absolute best archer we can because it's these small improvements and and a lot of times it's making these tough decisions it's like having to let your ego go like to be a good archer you have to explore what you're doing wrong as well you have to explore what's wrong with your form and when you make a change to your form uh, you get a little bit worse before you get better. Like you're shooting at a level, you make an adjustment to your form, and all of a sudden your shooting goes down a little bit. And you have to keep this belief that this is the right change for you, and this will equal you being a better archer in, in the end. So you make this change to your form, you get a little bit worse. And so you have to be okay with missing the X or missing the, the 10 ring or uh, missing shots on animals, but just knowing like it's a better move for your form and for your archery overall. And then pretty soon you rise above the level you were at and you become a better archer because of this change to your form so like um uh, talk about your journey in archery and your improvement from it and working on these bows and knowledge base and how much that's helped you with being consistently successful Uh, oh man it has spoke it has spoke huge volumes in my hunting man so um years ago my wife and i uh decided to turn a section of our house into a bow shop and um we, we did. It started out just as a way to, um, you know, work on our own gear instead of, you know, driving the hill to a bow shop and that we just, we really didn't have the time for anymore. And, um, it started out as that. And, uh, we bought the, we bought our dream home last year and my wife has kind of let me turn the whole basement into like a bow shop, gym, archery, man cave. It's so awesome. I'm actually talking from inside my bow shop right now. Cause this is kind of where I'm always in my zone. I can, um, I can see and, the bows behind you. It's beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, um, it's just I I love it's it's been so enjoyable, man. It started out as us just kind of working on our own thing, and then um, and then some friends started asking for help, and 
um, I started diving into working on other people's equipment and I was learning more doing that too, because I'm working on people's equipment where they have different draw weights, they need different aero configurations. And, uh, that taught me a lot too. And, um, began just and you know it's we're kind of hoping to turn it into a, a small business at some point so lately we've been helping a lot of local local people with things that the archery shop just doesn't really have the time to do and slowing down and really trying to figure out the perfect recipe of an arrow for your bow and taking a look at your form and seeing maybe what you can we can switch up to give yourself a better edge and um it's just it's been so fun man like, i remember over the summer i built a couple of couple of dozen arrows for a buddy of mine and and I really worked hard on them and slowed down and um just built these arrows within super tight tolerance and I remember when the next day he called me and uh he was like dude I, I am shooting better than I ever have before like I'm starting to understand like you know just creating these tighter tolerances like I said is just gonna you know it creates better groups and that's just so rewarding to hear that. I, I loved hearing that so much. And, you know, and then, I mean, like when you said rabbit hole, like that's all I do in the shop is just go down rabbit holes. It's, it's nuts. I, uh, I, and I'll constantly, I spend the whole year tinkering, you know, and I, I change things and I, I, now that I have the ability to do this all in my basement, I have a shooting lane, um, across the way here for, for doing all my tuning and stuff like that. And I'm just able to always keep in touch with my, with my equipment. Um, I mean, I mean, I'm working on my stuff during the season too. Like, like after antelope, if I'm able to harvest an antelope, I get right back in the shop and I recheck everything because as you know, you can be super abusive on your bow, uh, during that time of year, you're crawling through sage and cactus country and beating, beating the hell out of your gear. Um, so, and it's just, it gives me so much more confidence that I'm able to come down here and I'm able to, you know, just take everything apart, make sure everything's still looking good, recheck my paper tune, recheck my true broadhead flight and make sure everything is good. And, you know, instead of moving on to the next hunt where I'm like, oh boy, like I hope everything stayed intact while I was beating the hell out of my bow out in the prairie. Um, <laughs> and that's just, that has spoke huge volumes when it comes to hunting, man. And I've, I've, I've really been able to just understand the science behind all this equipment a lot better. And just knowing the way a bow works fundamentally will give you such an edge out in the field and, um, and just being able to tinker, you know, if you know, you want to try a different arrow weight, if you want to try a different site configuration and, and, you know, um, peep sizes and housing sizes of your scope and, you know, all these things you can keep playing and playing until you get more comfortable. And I think when guys, going to archery shops trying to do this they uh you know it our, the archery shop is busy you know it's a it's a retail location and they don't necessarily have the time to slow down and just go over all these little things with you and and it's also it's not a it can be a, not as a comfortable of an environment you know there's there's people around especially in summer when everyone's trying to get ready the shops are busy you know and when i have a buddy or a, a local person that comes here to my to my shop we really, they're, they're comfortable. They can slow down. We can talk one-on-one, -on -one, no distractions, and kind of just figure out what's going to work for them. And it's just been so rewarding to see some of these guys just walk out of here with more confidence in their shooting because they're constantly saying, oh, thanks, man, thanks, man. And I'm like, hey, the satisfaction I get is knowing that if you draw back on an animal, your head is going to be in the right place, and you know you can place that arrow where it needs to be. Um, that That's what just gives me... I just brings me so much happiness. I love watching other guys like really start to figure their equipment out 
and learn how this all works and, and become better archers, you know, and, um, it's, it's been, it's been fun, man. I've, I'm shooting better than I ever have in my life because of this. And it's just, it's so fun. Like I just, I'll, I swear sometimes I'll be down here. And my wife comes down in the middle of the night or something. She's like, are you still in here? <laughs> it's, it's pretty funny. Yeah. The love runs deep. Um, man, it's beautiful. It's like really fun to hear your journey into archery in it. It starts by uh, really fine-tuning your equipment, and I know I've had buddies that are really good bow hunters. That uh, I w- had one of my good buddies that I gave him last year's bow because his bow wasn't in yet, and so he used my last year's bow, and he shot that bow better than any bow he's ever shot. And he's like, "Man, what did you do to this thing?" And it is just the <laughs> fine-tuning and the tinkering and the messing with it, uh, being okay to be able to change things, and this knowledge. It, it just doesn't come right away. Like this knowledge comes from like hanging out at the shop, which I know you did a lot. So it's working yeah. on your own setup and it's asking guys that are better bow techs than you like, hey, what have you done when you ran into this tuning issue? Like I'm, you know, all of a sudden my bow's tuning way outside and then, you know, you find out, oh, Matthews, I can move the top hats or, you know, other bows I can, um, uh, I can adjust the, but you adjust it by yoke tuning and move the tune of it. And so then you like have that bit of knowledge and then like working on other people's bows, you run into so many other issues and problems and different setups that you have to solve that it makes you a better overall bow tech for your own bow and for your own tuning. And so I was the same way where um, I just hung into the shop and um, I had some good friends that were better bow techs than me that I could turn to and I could ask questions and I just started working on my own bow. And then you can't be afraid of change. Like you just have to change things constantly on a bow to try things out to make sure to see if this is going to work or to see if that's going to work or how does this affect my groups and so really messing with them uh, and spending the time just makes you so much better it it makes archery so it's not a black magic like you understand how it all works and how it all works together and then by the time season comes around you've got just this deadly bow that's so fine-tuned that's so forgiving that shoots great groups and that's a big part of our archery success is just our knowledge in these bows and in our bow tuning and the time that we spend with them, man. And so, um, yeah, I'm sure you're like, uh, uh, your knowledge, like your, your archery is excelling exponentially, like just from working on all these different bows. So like, um, what's a good way, like you talk about turning this into a business and you're right. Shops do a great job. They just don't have the time to work on this, this fine tuned detail. And, you know, you may have 10 guys in the shop. There may only be one or two guys that are even interested in their bow being that finely tuned. I mean, everybody wants a good shooting weapon, but a lot of guys don't shoot good enough to notice the the small little changes or differences that you're making and so you know you are catering to that one or two guys that want this finely tuned weapon you're catering to these guys that want this archery knowledge that then can lean upon you because you're a better bow tech than they are to help them get this fine-tuned bow to help them you know get this understanding of their weapon and how it all works together and so like you're providing this great service to to your buddies or to other guys. So like you talk about starting this as a business, like what's a way guys can get a hold of you? Like you're in, you're over the hill in Livingston, right? So in the Bozeman area, like are you taking clients or is this something you're just doing with your friends? And then how can guys get a hold of you, your social media or uh, uh, the shop you're going to create or or what's your vision for this for the future? And, you know, for now, um, 
and for now, my my vision is to keep helping keep helping friends and other people that reach out to me that are acquaintances and things like that. And I do want it to grow to where you know um, they can spread the word and people feel comfortable to reach out to me. And and uh, yeah, being over the hill over in Livingston is you know the benefit that guys locally find about it is you know not having to drive over the hill to get help and. Um, I, my, I want this, I want this to grow into something that local people know and not just local people, anybody, but I want people to know that there's a, there's a, a safe haven to come to where they can, you know, really, really learn more about their equipment and, you know, and, and slow down and understand how, you know, arrow flight and, you know, understand how to check a bow for flaws and, and things like that. I mean, this past this past summer it got it got pretty busy and it actually got to the point where like august 1st rolled around and i told everybody it's like i can't take any more <laughs> i can't take any more stuff in here like my own season's coming up here and i gotta i gotta be dialed and um and yeah we're hoping to we're hoping to branch it into a small business um you know give it some kind of a cool name and uh i just i want to see a community i want to see an, an archery community in my area you know that we all you know, kind of know each other and can share each other's hunting stories. And, and if anybody feels like there's something about their bow, they don't understand. I want them to feel like they can come here and, and, you know, we'll, we'll break it down little by little. And, you know, and they, they just, they just, the comfort level here is just, is that's, that's what I'm striving for, you know? And I tell people about, when I tell people about the things I do in archery, I tell them what hasn't worked for me, what has worked for me, because so many times, like, guys are always asking, what's the best bow and broadhead combination out there? It's like, that's not the question to ask yourself. The question to ask yourself is, how can I make my bow as accurate as possible and shoot the most accurate broadhead possible? You know, I that's just right there. I think guys end up asking themselves the wrong questions all the time. And, um, you know, what we're focusing on in this shop here is getting people to place broadheads on a target accurately, you know, and uh, really slowing down the tuning process to make sure that happens. And, um, yeah, and I, I want it, I want it to branch out. I'm super dedicated to my job. And so my, my time, my time is super limited right now, but I do want this to, to branch out. And, um, I want to just create a little community, you know, and it's just so, like I said, the satisfaction behind these guys like leaving here and then having more confidence in their shooting has just been awesome. And, um, you know, and, and my, my wife is so supportive of all this. My wife's a bow hunter too. I mean, half the bows in here are, are in here are hers. Um, a great and, bow hunter at that. Yeah, she is. She is. She is not only like my biggest support system, uh, but she is a hell of a little bow hunter, a persistent one. And so she having that support for this whole thing makes it a lot easier. You know, a lot of my friends, uh, their wives don't hunt and and they're supportive, you know, but they can't dive into it together like they would like to. And that's that's what really makes this work is my wife and I are both dedicated to this equally and we both love it equally. And um, we love spending time with other hunters and talking to other hunters and talking about these these stories from their bow hunting. And, um, it's just, we, we love, we love this life, man. We love it. We wouldn't, we wouldn't have it any other way. That's killer. How can guys get a hold of you if they're interested in having you working on their bows or if they have some questions yeah. or just want to chat with you? Yeah. So I'm not afraid to put my, my number out there. 406, uh, 600, 3172, you know, yeah. shooting me a text is, 
shooting me a text is best when I'm, um, you know, working and things like that. And then all my social media is just, everything's under Kane Reinhardt, um, on Facebook, Instagram, anybody can reach me on there. And, uh, yeah, I invite, I invite people to reach out and, um, you know, get a hold of me. We can, we can talk, you know, we can just talk bows and, um, I, I'm more than inviting for people to reach out. I, I just, I want to, I want to help people. I want to help people walk into the woods and be able to focus on the hunt and not have to worry about whether or not their equipment's going to fail when it comes down to that crucial moment. Yeah. Well, dude, you're an absolute wealth of knowledge. And, um, yeah, I know, uh, we've been acquaintances or like, uh, friends like the last couple of years. Like I always visit with you every time I see you, but uh, I'm going to lean on you a little bit more. Like I'd love to come over and visit you at your house and shoot a bit and just, um, compare notes on different things. Uh, and, and also totally. likewise is have you over to Ennis here and have you shoot a bit. And, um, you know, I think we can, um, you know, I definitely know that, uh, uh, I think we can make each other better just by comparing notes and shooting a bit together. So man, it's awesome. And I'm cheering you on with that shop and this um this idea for this business model you know and i know it comes from a deep passion and love from you you know it's like uh it's not something that you're looking to get rich off and so yeah man i just encourage anybody that has any questions to give you a shout or to reach out to you and then um uh, my last question, dude, I'm eating up so much of your time. This has been such a great podcast. So this um, this can't be the last. You have to come back on with me. But um, what do you think? Um, I know uh, you're a fan of these Matthews just like I am. Uh, what do you think of that yeah. new phase four? Dude, it's, it's, it's awesome, man. I haven't, I haven't bought it yet. Um, I took my V3X over to the shop and, uh, you know, my – and uh, – Zach McCarthy over there was, you know, he was handing me off my V3X and the phase four back and forth, shooting them next to each other. And that the way they have quieted down that system, like I, my V3X is already so nice and keen and I have just dialed that thing in and it's so quiet and crisp to shoot that phase four and to hear an even quieter bow was just, it was mind blowing. <laughs> mind blowing. I love, I love Matthews. I love those guys. Like they, they are just that, that company. They stand behind some amazing people. They stand behind the same thing that we all do. And they create these amazing tunable bows, which is something that I look for in a bow more than anything is tunability. And, um, that phase four, man, it's going to, it's, it's going to be a game changer, especially for guys that were shooting, um, older models, of, you know, bows that are making a lot of noise that guys were getting string jump issues. I mean, that bow is going to be a game changer. I haven't, I haven't got it yet, man. I really, I don't know if I'm ready to hang up the V3X. It just, I love this bow. Um, but yeah, it's super, it's super intriguing. What a, what a company, man. Every year they just, you're just like, man, what are they going to do next? Like, how are they going to up the game? And they always manage to do it. I know. It's crazy. Yeah, I'm so impressed by him, man. Uh, I'm with you. I love that V3X, man. That thing was a shoot. I mean, all the last five years of Matthew, this is the last three years of Matthew, it's just been incredible. And like you say, every season they outdo themselves, you know? And so, yeah, it's just uh, it's amazing. I've got that V3X. It's the quietest bow I've ever shot. Uh, really forgiving, no hand shock. And, yeah, somehow they've improved it with the Phase 4. And I kind of feel like these bows – each year they improve them and the improvements like, you know, 1% improvement, one to 3% improvement in, um, 
performance, forgiveness, shootability, you know, everything. And so, like, where you really notice the difference is, like, three years down the line or five years yeah. down the line, like you're talking, where you see this 10% improvement in the bow and its function, it really makes you a better archer. And so, yeah, I don't think that everybody has to step up every year and buy a new bow. I know you're such a fan of bows that you usually end up getting a new one every year is why I wanted to ask you. And uh, just like I thought, you've already shot the phase four. Uh, I haven't set mine up. I'm in the middle of the move, and all my stuff is in boxes in the garage, and it's just killing me. Mine showed up. And uh, so I may have to dig through those boxes, but, you know, I'm not too far away from getting in that house and getting things set up. Uh, But just so stoked how they were able to quiet it down even more. And then that hand shock out of that thing is going to be amazing. And so, um, yeah, it's just such a great company and such great bows. So I had to ask your opinion on it. Yeah, it's 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 an awesome it's an awesome platform, man. And yeah, and I probably end up will getting my hands on it here. It's just, <laughs> I know you I just, will. <laughs> uh, oh, dude, I'm just I'm just crazy about it, man. I just love. I remember you know when they released the V3X and you know this whole new bridge lock technology. I was like so excited to get home and try it out. And I'm like, well, you know, I, I can hold on to this. Like whatever. They can't really they can't come out with that much more again this year. God, they always they get me every time. <laughs> they get me, get me every right. year. Well, Kane, uh, man, I've I've eaten up a bunch of your time, but dude, I just um really appreciate you coming on the podcast and uh, chatting with me. I really enjoyed it, and yeah, I said it before, but yeah, you got to come on at least once a year and um uh, share yeah, your knowledge absolutely. to the guys out there. And um yeah, I just really appreciate you and what you're doing for bow hunting, and uh, you're the man. Yeah, thank you so much, Brian. I, I'm seriously, buddy, this was such an honor. And congratulations, man, on all your success over the years, especially this year, man. I just I follow your content so closely. Um, like we talked about in this this podcast is learning from those who have who have succeeded more than me and have done this more than me, man. I just I love your content. I love uh, Eastman Eastman's Elevated is just it's such a good platform for people to you know, really rely on and, and listen to things and just uh, hear, you just hear from others who just love this sport like we do. Man, it's so kind. Yeah, thanks so much, man. I appreciate it. Keep in touch and reach out if you need anything from me. Yeah, appreciate it, Brian. Thank you so much. Okay, talk soon. Yep, take care. All right, guys, that's a wrap. Fun conversation with Kane. Um, man, that guy's a stud in the mountains, and he's just willed himself into being consistently successful just through his hard work, discipline, dedication, and, and you can definitely hear that come out in the podcast. So uh, thanks a bunch for him coming on the podcast. Definitely want to have him on again. He's a great guest. Um, so that went really well. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, thanks so much for the support. Uh, thanks to our sponsors for today's show, Zamberlin, just unparalleled boots and shoes. So pumped on that company. Uh, so check them out if you're in the market for new shoes. That that shoe that I really like is the Saluth. Um, so you can check that out. And uh, also want to thank Cryptech, just the best technical mountaineering gear system that I've ever had put together. Great for early season to late season. So you can check them out at Cryptech.com. Uh, check out Black Ovis internet retail store uh just great offerings great name brands including their own you can get everything you need for your hunt and camo fire um, uh, great deals on their app 80 new hunting deals every 24 hours so you can check those guys out as well um man uh just uh working away here i'm uh, Seven days a week working these long hours long weeks here um trying to get my house done and get in it 
I'm getting so close, man. That house is coming out so nice. So apologize if you guys are getting tired of hearing about my house on the podcast. It seems like I open up about every conversation with it. Or uh, I guess uh, uh, people just follow me and um, ask about it, and then I um, let them know how it's going. But yeah, it's it's uh, way nicer than I deserve. It's uh, just a beautiful home. It's like the best home I could build, and I you know I work on all these other houses for so many years and so I figure out like what I really like and so when I'm doing a floor I'm trying to do the coolest floor that I've ever put in uh you know best colors best tie to the house when I'm doing a ceiling when I'm doing counters when I'm doing you know so I am just going all out on this house and um man it's um one of the nicest houses I've ever built and um I'm gonna get to live in it here in uh, uh probably about two three weeks time I'll I'll still need to get um you know, some of the, like, the shower glass doors are, like, eight weeks out or something, so it'll be a while, I'll be uh, uh, showering with curtains, but I am gonna be in that house, I believe, in January here, so got the counters poured yesterday, doing some concrete counters, um, I, I did post one picture up on, um, on my social media on, uh, Brian underscore Barney the other day, and, uh, I'll, I'll post some more and do some walkthroughs, it is the coolest house, when I get done with it, man, it's gonna be absolutely awesome. So just um, working hard to get me and my family in there, working these long weeks and um, definitely having this adventurous hunting season that's helping me get through. And then I just can't wait to get my life back. Um, it's just been my sole focus, not my sole focus. I mean, I guess, you know, I've been spending time with family and I've been, um, you know, I definitely had a great hunting season, but, you know, it was just under stress the whole hunting season and I didn't have the time that I normally have. And, and then I always had the pressure of this home and the other jobs I'm contracting in the backdrop. And, um, you know, I've given, given myself a little bit of grace on my workouts and I, um, you know, I was keeping running there for quite a while. Now it's just every waking moment on that house until I'm done. So I'm just so ready to have my life back and get training full time again and um, just get some more balance in my life. Uh, my life's got out of balance, which I, you know, I work in 100 hour weeks. It's just tough to do anything else. So uh, it's just I'm, I'm pushing hard towards the finish line, but I'm holding up. And um, I'm doing good and really excited to get in this house and then um, just get back to my normal life where I just uh, can really put my focus on Western hunting. So um, super pumped to get back to that and, um, you know, and, and, and put more effort into these other items. I mean, not that I haven't been working hard on the podcast, but just put more effort in for you guys and um, uh, more effort in the, the hunting industry, more effort in my hunts, you know, and, and also you know, personal happiness. And I've kept myself up, you know, this whole time working on the house, but it, it doesn't take long. hundred hour weeks start to wear on me. And, um, so just trying not to break my brain, trying to get into this house, which I'm going to do. God, I can see the light at the end of the tunnel right now. So, um, just going to keep pushing hard towards that finish and, um, get myself in that place. And it'll be amazing. Like I say, better than, than, a than a carpenter deserves for sure. But I'm um, so pumped on this place. So thanks to you guys for all the support and, uh, downloading the podcast. I am, we're trying to hit some numbers this month. I mean, we just have, um, we've built a great community, and so we're trying to hit some numbers this month. So if you guys get a chance, download any episodes that you haven't downloaded. 
um, uh, push this podcast, social media, like uh, share it with your friends. Like really, it's word of mouth that's growing this podcast. So I'm trying to have a good December here. I will get you guys an extra solo episode and we'll try to hit our marks. I, You know, I'm not sure if I can make it this month or not to hit those numbers, but we've had a really good year and we've continued to grow. So I've got nothing to feel bad about. It's just like trying to hit this this number or whatever and it you know, really it doesn't matter it's like I have you guys that listen to the podcast each and every week and um, you know we built a good following and we get decent numbers and we do good for these advertisers you know that that build great gear we've partnered with great companies and so man I got nothing to complain about um, but if you guys get a chance share it with your buddies download any episodes you're behind on uh, try to help me get to that magical uh, I think we're like trying to get 1 million downloads for the year 1 million plays for the year which that's all our podcast entire library which there's what 360 some episodes on there um so yeah just trying to hit my mark we're really close so if you guys get a chance download some extra uh some extra episodes for me but thanks so much for the support you guys i really appreciate you listening in to the podcast um really finding our niche and our voice through the podcast and what you guys want to hear and really it's just the stuff that i want to hear like i'm a fan of western hunting and a fan of these guys i have on the podcast and i've always treated the podcast that way is that i am you guys and so what i think is interesting and what i like is is also what's going to resonate with you so i just want to continue uh, to follow that path and that that voice of the podcast because I believe that's what um, what connects me to you guys. So um, I'm gonna get back to this Western hunting thing full time, not part time. So um, better watch out for 2023. I'm gonna be going so hard, uh, so hard in training and in hunts and in um, uh, time in the mountains and. Um, Man, I just can't wait. So I'm going to get my me and my family into this house, which is amazing, and um, get, get my life back. <laughs> so uh, thanks to you guys for following along and all the support. I really appreciate you guys. And with that, I'll check in with you next week.